Would you take your Bibles and turn to the first book of Genesis? Something that is familiar to you, go to chapter 37, and I'll begin, we'll, we'll begin reading at verse number 12, Genesis 27, I'm sorry, 37, 37, starting with verse number 12. It is a rather lengthy passage today, and so I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'll read most of it. If it's in the other color, like it's kind of an orangey color, that will be yours to read once again. It seems to work out well when I read the good guy and you read the bad guy, okay? <laughs> so I'll read most of it, but you're going to read the, the comments from Joseph's brothers. <clears throat> soon after this, soon after what? Well, the telling of his dreams, Joseph's dreams to his brothers. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob, their father, said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside what are you looking for? He asked. I'm, well, I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance as he approached, and they made plans to kill him. Right, then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben, one of those brothers, heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Oh, but Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph, his younger brother, and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. When they, then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they, took, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of, of gum. That's not like juicy fruit or Wrigley's. <clears throat> balm and uh, aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And Judah, one of the other brothers, said to his brothers, and his brothers agreed. So, When the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern, and when he discovered that Joseph was was missing, he tore his clothes 
in grief. And then he went back to his brothers and he lamented. Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Oh, their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. The grass withers, the flower fades, but, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want to speak for a few moments on the sovereign providence of God. The sovereign providence of God. Let's hope that a long reading is an indication of a short sermon today. <laughs> Don't count on it, but you can hope if you want. What we have here is a dysfunctional family, a very dysfunctional family. Going all the way back to the patriarch, Abraham, he's dysfunctional. He has a son with his wife's servant, Hagar. That boy is named Ishmael, but Ishmael is not the son of promise. And then God waits until Abraham and Sarah are way past their childbearing years to then allow them to have the child of promise a son named Isaac. But now Sarah, who permitted Hagar to lay with her husband, uh, Abraham, now Sarah wants Abraham to run Hagar off and the boy that she had with him. Abraham acquiesces and he favors the son of his old age, Isaac. Favoritism, dysfunction. But there's more. Let's look on down into the next generation. Isaac then marries Rebekah. And Rebekah gives birth to twin boys who are striving in their mother's womb. You know this story. Esau is born first with Jacob clutching the heel of his brother uh, on his way out. <laughs> Isaac favors Esau, but Rebekah loves Jacob. Dysfunction. Favoritism and now enmity between brothers. Jacob steals his brother's blessings and robs him of his birthright. Those boys are angry with each other for years until they, they finally meet together, they, they kiss and embrace as brothers, though dysfunction continues right on into the next generation. Now Jacob is married to a woman he does not love named Leah. And he waits for the woman he really loves, who is Rachel. Though Jacob has sons and daughters born to him, Joseph is the son of his old age. And Jacob favors jo uh, Joseph over all his other children. So much so that he makes Joseph a technicolor coat, a coat of many colors to distinguish him or to set him apart as the one that he truly loves. 
That's the background of where we're going today. A dysfunctional family with favoritism and enmity and hatred between brothers for years. I'm not even going to ask if anybody can relate to this story in your personal life. But we pick it up, pick up the story we've read from Genesis chapter 37 where we find Joseph's brothers out pasturing their father's sheep. Jacob, the father, sends Joseph, his youngest, to check on his older brothers. And, you know, to be honest, you kind of have to wonder, what, what was Jacob thinking? What must have been going through his mind to send Joseph, the baby boy, to his older brothers to, to check on them? Why was he thinking that was a good idea? Because he had to know. We didn't read it. It was in an earlier verse. Verse 2 tells us Joseph was a snitch. That's what he did. He's the youngest one, and he snitched on his older brothers and came back and gave all the reports of all the bad stuff they were always doing. So Jacob, it's bad enough that Jacob sends Joseph out there to try to get a report on his older brothers or to tell on them, really, but he sends them out there wearing that special coat. Jacob is uh, sending Joseph out there with the thing that makes those older brothers boys so mad when they see it in the first place. It's that coat that they cannot stand. And here he is coming down the road. The older boys see the object of their hatred coming right toward them. And why do they hate him so much? Well, because he's always giving a bad report on them. And because Joseph is young enough and apparently naive enough, dare I say stupid enough, to tell his brothers about his dreams that he's had. Uh, you know, he said, he said this, said, listen to this. We're out in the field, he's telling his first dream, and we're tying up bundles of grain, and, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. Isn't that great? <laughs> How many of you have a younger brother like? No, don't tell, don't tell me. And then he went on to tell them of another dream he had where the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were all bowing low before him. Joseph's father, Jacob, keeps all that in his heart because, yes, he knows that Joseph is, is a dreamer. But Joseph is also the object of Jacob's dreams, of his dad's dreams. And in that family, it worked like this. All of Abraham's hopes were pinned on Isaac. All of Isaac's hopes are pinned on Jacob. And all of Jacob's hopes are pinned on Joseph. And so Jacob sends Joseph to come back with a report on his older brothers. And, and he sends him in this coat that his brothers can't stand. And as a result, what we see is this. All of Abraham's, Isaac's, and Jacob's dreams are about to die in Joseph. Joseph is approaching from a distance, and his brothers see him before he sees them. I'm sure that coat had something to do with it. And they say, here comes the dreamer. Come, let's slay him, and then we'll see what becomes of all of his dreams. But the older brother, Reuben, says, well, hang on a minute. Let's, let's not slay him. Let's just Let's just put him in this pit where there's no water. Surely that'll be bad enough. And 
Reuben's plan was to come back later, as we read, when the other brothers weren't around, and, and get Joseph out of that pit and take him to his father. But according to the narrative text, the story gets interrupted for an Ishmaelite caravan comes driving by, and it's on its way to Egypt, at which point then another brother, Judah, gets, he gets his big idea. He says, no, let's, let's not kill him. After all, he is our brother. I can't stand him, but he is my brother. He gets on my nerves, but he is my brother. I can't stand that stupid coat he has on, but he is my brother. And they decide to take Joseph out of the pit and sell him to that Ishmaelite caravan on their way to Egypt. And then the strangest reaction, hey, y'all, anybody hungry? Let's, uh, let's sit down and have a bite to eat. Can I just say that is how bitter envy can be? That's how bitter it can be. You can destroy your brother with envy and hatred and then just sit right down and have a barbecue sandwich. Let me just tell you this. When you're jealous, when you're envious, you don't necessarily want what other folks have. You just don't want them to have it. Is that our human nature? You know, they don't want his coat because it doesn't fit them. But they don't want him to wear it, even though it was made for him. Which reminds us of something, that the favor God has placed upon someone else's life, it does not fit you. Because it was not made for you. Even though you still don't want them to have it. You know you don't sing like her. You just don't want to hear her sing. You know you can't pray like him. You just don't want to hear him pray. Folks, it's true. And the sooner we learn, learn this, the easier life will be for us. God's favor for someone else will not ever fit you. Say that with me. God's favor. That's exactly why there is no point in ever getting upset and envious when God is blessing someone else. Because that blessing is tailor-made for them. God knows what you and I can handle and what we cannot handle. And it just may be true that a coat of many colors is not going to look good on you. Your coat maybe needs just to be one color. And getting all upset and getting all angry with God at how he has blessed someone else is never going to help you one bit. Am I telling you the truth this morning? I just have two points to this sermon today, but I want to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to get pretty personal with you, okay? Uh, some people would call this getting right up in your grill, I understand. Uh, now, you know it's not like me to do this, but, um, but it's, it might get a little raw and personal with you today because this has been burning on my heart. I feel it is what the Lord would have me share with you. The first point of the two points is this, God is sovereign over our circumstance. Say that with me. Now, when you hear a sermon preached about Joseph, you typically hear it preached from the back, the back end, from the point where Joseph is pulled from the dungeon and then ends up before Pharaoh in that very highly favored and exalted position. But I, I, I'm choosing to draw your attention to 
see the coincidence, and I put it in quotes, all the coincidence that had to take place on the front end, the less than pleasant part of Joseph's life, just for God to get Joseph to Egypt. And what I'm really doing, let me go ahead and spill the beans here this morning, as I present the coincidence of Joseph's life is asking you to parallel Joseph's story to your life. We'd all rather talk about the part that's turned out well and how things, things come out just like we'd, we'd hoped that they would when, when that happens, but we would rather skip over the front part that is all we had to go through to get to the back part. And I'm asking you to look at the less than pleasant part of your life in order for you to see that God is sovereign over your circumstances. The point is this. He's sovereign over our circumstances and that our steps are ordered of the Lord and our stops are ordered of the Lord. Your steps and your stops are ordered of the Lord. So walk with me around this text, allowing me to point out all the coincidence. And my prayer is that you'll suddenly have a moment of enlightening about your own life as you draw the appropriate parallel between Joseph and yourself. So it happened like this. His father Jacob had to have Joseph in his old age. Jacob had to favor Joseph over his brothers so that his brothers would despise him and hate him. They envied him so much they couldn't even speak with him. The father Jacob had to send the older brothers to keep the sheep in Shechem. All these are just events and coincidences that, that took place. Jacob just happened to send Joseph to check on them in Shechem. We've read it sufficiently today. God just happened to send a man to meet Joseph in the field at just the right time and just the right place for the man to tell Joseph they're not in Shechem. I heard them talking about moving on down to Dothan. Now, if that man had been walking in another direction, this story would have had a completely different ending. Joseph's brothers had to see him before he saw them. Reuben had to decide to put him in a pit. An, Ish an Ishmaelite caravan happened to be on the camel route going to Egypt at just the right time to see those brothers eating after they dropped their brother in a pit. Had they been going on another route, Joseph would have never ended up in Egypt. If he had not ended up in Egypt, he would never have made it to Potiphar's house. Had he not made it to Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife would never have tried to seduce him. You're not with me this morning. If Potiphar's wife would have never tried to seduce him, he never would have ended up in that dungeon. Had he not ended up in that dungeon, he never would have met a butler and a baker. If he had never met a butler and a baker, he never would have interpreted their dreams. If he had never interpreted their dreams, he never would have been brought out of that dungeon. If he had never been brought out of the dungeon, he never would have stood before Pharaoh. If he had never stood before Pharaoh, he never would have interpreted Pharaoh's dream. If he had never interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he never would have been given the second chariot of Egypt. 
If he had never been made prime minister in Egypt, there never would have been a famine in Goshen. If there never would have been a famine in Goshen, his brothers never would have had to come to Egypt to buy some grain. And if his brothers never would have come to Egypt to buy grain, he never would have had the opportunity to say to them, you meant this for evil. But God... Oh, somebody who ought to know what this is today. You meant this all for evil. But God. Oh, but God. Can I just say, I was on my way to hell, but God. Can I say, I was broke, but God. I was sick, but God. I was lost, but God. Somebody ought to give a shout of praise in this house today. see the parallel. I certainly hope you see with me today that God is sovereign over your circumstances. Don't just call it a God thing when you're happy about it. Don't just call it a God thing when it's all got music playing and flowers growing out of it. God is sovereign. He rules this world. He's sovereign over your circumstances. So just for a minute, when you have more time, I'd really like you to go through this exercise in more depth, just for shouting purposes. Some of you need a dose of that, I noticed, this morning. Here's what I think you ought to do. Run through your life in slow motion. Run through 1972, if you were alive then. A few of you were, in slow motion. Run through 2001 of your life. Take it in slow motion. Run through your divorce in slow motion. Run in your mind through the death of your child or the loss of your mother in slow motion. Run through your problems in slow motion. And while you're going through them, you will notice that it looks and it feels like you will never get out of them because they're in slow motion. But then once you've done that, speed up the camera and see that when you got to the end of that problem, God was standing right there. He was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. He was there to open the doors and to say to you, I know it looks like you will never stop crying. I know it feels like you will never come out of that depression. I know it looks like you will never smile again. It looks like the sun will never shine on your life again. But if you will wait on the Lord and be of good cheer, He will. His word says He will. Bethesda, He will. Strengthen your heart. Wait, I say. On the Lord, the psalmist says, he'll be a father for you. He'll be a mother for you. He'll be company for you. Goes like this, if I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. Oh, come on, somebody. I'd never know what faith in God can do. That's why I can lift my voice today and say, but through it all, through it all, 
because God is sovereign over my circumstances. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Who's that true for today? Shout hallelujah in this house. You see, church, if you're not careful, if you don't watch out for the devil, he will strike you with a disease called spiritual myopia. Myopia is an eye problem which restricts your field of vision. Spiritual myopia is a spiritual uh, problem that restricts your field of vision. Some of us here this morning are suffering from spiritual myopia and probably don't even know it. You know, uh, here's a rabbit trail alert. Thanksgiving's coming up soon. Some of us are behind on our Thanksgiving. Some of us are needing to pay a little back Thanksgiving to God for what he's done. It's always good to be quick to give God thanks for what he's done. For the things that are obvious to you and the things that aren't so obvious to you. Because the devil is able to get you to see and to get you so depressed that you can only see what's right in front of you. But when you allow the Lord to remove the cataracts from the eyes of your soul, you start seeing that just like Joseph, God has something better up the road which is staring you right in the face right now. You just can't see it today. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. Have you heard that before? I quoted almost every sermon. <laughs> when you are myopic in your vision, you can only see a little bit that's just right in front of you. So, what does someone sound like that has spiritual myopia? Well, they'll start complaining about what they don't have instead of giving God praise for what they do have or what they have left. By that I mean, Whatever God might take from you, some of you might be sitting here today so mindful of what God has taken from you. Whatever God might take from you, you are still left with far more than you had before. Is there anybody else in the house today that like me, you've asked God to remove the cataracts from your soul so that you can see what God's truly doing in your life? If not, some of us need to do that today. Church, if God's been good to you, don't be ashamed to praise him. If God has done something for you, even the slightest blessing, come to the house of the Lord. Make it abundantly clear. Everybody in your section of the church ought to know that God has blessed you this week. It ought to be abundantly obvious that his blessing and favor has rested upon you. God has opened doors for you. Don't ever be embarrassed to testify of the goodness of God. God is sovereign over your circumstance. Can I get an amen to that? The other point I want to make this morning is this. And I'm speaking from the conviction of my own soul. And I'm confident that I'm telling you the truth, though you may not have heard it quite like this before, and it may not set well with you in the first few minutes. But as my beloved Pastor Des used to say, you have every right to be wrong. <clears throat> And he was right. <laughs> he was right. My second point.
point is this. God is sovereign over willful sin. Hmm. I did not say that God makes you sin. I said God is sovereign over willful sin. Here's where it's going to get real quiet and real personal. Here's where we can easily get bogged down in this idea of the sovereignty of God. So stay with me and hear me out. If Joseph had stayed home and never went to check on his brothers, the evil that his brothers had in their hearts for him would have remained a seed within those brothers. It still would have been there, whether he had gone or not. The hatred those brothers held in their hearts for Joseph would have remained a seed in their hearts had he not even left home. And we know what the prophet Jeremiah tells us about our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can even know it? Evil in your heart stays there as long as it has no opportunity to blossom. Oh, but pastor, don't you see how nice we look today? We're in church. Did you not hear us singing with all of our hearts? Uh Uh-huh, I sure did. But here's the truth. You and I aren't so good just because we're not doing evil right now. It may simply be that we've just not had the opportunity. Because here's the truth. When desire meets opportunity, what's in your heart is going to come out. When desire meets opportunity, what's in your heart is going to come out. Let me explain it to you this way. We are only not as bad as we are capable of being because... God in his grace is restraining us or constraining us, whichever one you want to use. But there are times when God, for his own sovereign purposes, removes the restraints, backs off the restrictions, and allows our evil hearts to have full bloom. I know you don't love me talking to you like this. And the stuff that is in us comes out when we thought we would never do that. When we thought we could never do it. There are some things you thought you were incapable of doing until you got the opportunity. And then we sit back and say to ourselves, how can I be so foolish? How can I do something that crazy? How could I have been so stupid? Well, I'll tell you why. That's because God, for his own reasons, chose to remove the restraints to allow you to see that without him, you just ain't as holy as you think you are. Brothers and sisters, it's true for all of us. Are you listening to me this morning? We all can recall times when God has removed the restraints in our lives which allowed us to do some things that we'd really prefer, we'd really rather not talk about this morning. And you've worked really hard at making sure nobody knows. Well, Pastor Dan, that's a pretty depressing thought. Well, 
So let me quickly give you the good news because I think you're going to be mad at me if I keep going. I have this treasure in an earthen vessel. That's the good news. The vessel, it ain't so special. It's not all that nice. But the treasure, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The treasure is precious. It's precious. Nothing wrong with the treasure. What's messed up is the vessel that the treasure's wrapped up in. If I brought to you this morning the Hope Diamond, the most precious gem in all the world, if I brought it here and had the ability to roll it in here in a trash can that is filthy on the outside and disgusting on the inside, there would still be nothing wrong with the Hope Diamond, though it's inside that trash can. Are you hearing me? The vessel that's carrying it is not clean, but there's nothing wrong with the treasure. The truth is we all have some stuff we'd rather not talk about. We all have some decisions we wish we had not made. We all have some things we wish we could go back and do over again. And if you are recoiling against me saying this to you this morning, and you'd rather me talk about how sweet and pretty you are, and the halo that's shining over your head, I just got to remind you of this. If you say you have no sin, what does the Bible say? It says we deceive ourselves and you're a bald-faced liar. It's worded a little different in the King James. If you say you have no sin, the Bible tells us that we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Oh, <laughs> but if we confess our sins, he, he is what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Pastor Dan, excuse me. I'm sure that's true for the sinners in the house today. <clears throat> I'm sure that's true for the people who don't go to church faithfully like I do. <clears throat> I know that's true, Pastor, for the unbelievers. <clears throat> and that's true for the heathen that don't read their Bibles as much as I do. My dad was a pastor all my life. This just went through my mind. <clears throat> he had a dear lady that was so convinced that, you know, I was raised in a classical Pentecostal church. He had a dear lady that loved to talk about that she had reached the point of sinless perfection. <clears throat> the whole rest of the church had a long list of reasons why she had not. But she loved to talk about her place of spiritual maturity. She had reached sinless perfection. How she... Dan, shut up about that. Go on. <laughs> but here, here, here's the truth. <clears throat> I'm talking about you and me. Let me remind you that in talking to Christians, talking to believers, the Apostle Paul said this to Galatians. He said, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use that freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. 
Why would he say that to Christians? There's an obvious reason. Christians are fully capable of using their freedom to satisfy their sinful nature. But thank God it remains true that the blood of Jesus washes away every sin and every stain, which is why, Bethesda, why we must go before the Lord quickly and often to repent. It's why we do that. And that is, by the way, what Yom Kippur is all about. God's people coming to repent of their sin. Is there an amen in the house today? We ought to know better than anyone else that his blood cleanses us from our sin. So that my yesterdays never have to catch up with my today. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus (laughs) washes white as snow. And we sing it so often, it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows. Who's thankful for the blood of Jesus? It flows to this lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day. The days when I'm good, the days when I'm not so good. The days when I have it together, the days when I ain't got nothing together. It will never lose its power. You and I are not here at Bethesda because we've been holy. We're not here because we've kept the Ten Commandments so wonderfully well. We're not here because we read the Bible a lot. We're not here because we're always such a sweet person. No, there's something inside of every one of us who, just like Paul, can say, every time I desire to do good, evil is always present. And the good that I would do, I find myself not doing. And the evil that I don't want to do, that's exactly what I do. Oh, wretched man that I was. Is that right? So he's not talking about just his past. He's talking about that condition. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do, I should do. Oh, wretched man that I still am. Why would God remove those constraints from us? Why would he do that? There are just times when he has to deal with our pride and help us realize, because we are so prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, the hymn says. We are so prone in that direction to suddenly think it's because of something in us that we've got anything good going on. One of the reasons he removes the restraints is so that he can humble us. We are to walk humbly before the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He removes the restraints so that someone who loves you can stop you and tell you when you're going in the wrong direction so that you can then learn how to submit to another believer. I know you don't like it when somebody does that. I don't either. I don't like it at all. But that's why we've been given the body of Christ. It's why we don't live this Christian life in a bubble or in a vacuum. We need our brothers and sisters to say, hey, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Why on earth are you headed in that direction? Get back here. Get back here. It reminds us how much we truly need each other, that we are part of a body that's called the body of Christ. And I believe that's one of the reasons God might remove those constraints, to allow us to see who we really are, and as someone who loves you, someone who cares for you, can also see who you really are. And so that we won't be quite so quick to judge the other people around us. I'll just let that one go right on by.
But it is true, you and I both need someone in our lives who loves us enough to tell us what we're doing wrong. Loves you enough to help you so that you don't completely ruin your testimony. Please don't ever allow the enemy to convince you that the church is for people who have it all together. Church is for people who have issues that they can't solve, but they know that they need God to help them. Somebody say amen. I'll just have something I really need to say to you today, and that's this. I think this is important. <clears throat> this story in Genesis 37 is actually the gospel according to Joseph. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I want to show you that Joseph is a type of Christ. Just take one more look in the last couple of minutes here. Take one more look at Joseph with me, and in him, I want you to see Jesus. Joseph, he's sent by his father, Jacob. He's sent by his father to brothers who rejected him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Then when Joseph got to his brothers to report to the father, they decided to kill him. When Jesus got to his brothers, they decided to put him to death. And in chapter 36, we see Joseph doing a lot of talking about his dreams and the sheaves and the sun, the moon, the stars and all that. And yet in chapter 37, here's what we see. Joseph opened not his mouth. Jesus is led like a sheep before his shearers and yet he opened not his mouth. But unlike the father Jacob who does not know how the story ends, our father God knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Because Jesus did not come to earth to die on a cross by accident. He willingly surrendered his life. And when he stood before his accusers, the Bible reminds us again that he opened not his mouth. And then Pilate said, oh, but do you know who I am? Do you know that I had the power to take down your life? And throughout all those proceedings, Jesus did not open his mouth. But when Pilate said that, that he had the power to take the life of Jesus, that's about all Jesus could stand. He said, well, hold on, wait a minute. No man takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I have the power to take it up again. Blessed be God. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Now hear me, Bethesda. They were doing okay with their process as long as they had Jesus on that cross laying down. As long as they were nailing his hands with that cross on the ground. They were doing okay as long as they were nailing his feet and that cross was on the ground. There had been no victory yet because a cross on the ground cannot save us. But the providence of God, the plan of God was to raise that cross up because Jesus foretold just like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man will be lifted up because church, there is, a, there is power in a lifted up Jesus. No, no, no. I said there's power in a lifted up Jesus. Do you want change in your life? Then begin to lift up Jesus. Do you want this church to catch on fire? Then start lifting up Jesus. 
Do you want the community you're part of to catch on fire? Do you want your family to catch on fire? Then we must lift up the name of Jesus. Somebody say hallelujah today. Stand with me in this house. And I want us to take just one moment. Oh, God, I pray we've not lost the ability to know what it is to lift our hands, lift our voices, lift our hearts, to lift up Jesus. You've got 30 seconds to magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. There's power in a lifted up Jesus. There's power in the lifted up cross. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the sovereign one who reigns and rules over everything. Blessed be the name of Jesus.